Well, good morning and welcome to Virtual ANC. We love and miss seeing you guys, and we thank you for joining us today in this form. Uh, I'm Sam. I'm Mallory. And we are part of the Preacher's Guild that you've heard Jason reference before. And Mallory and I wound up with the responsibility of serving on Mother's Day, on this Mother's Day, as two white non-mothers. And as we have sought input from other wise and generous voices this week, we have been holding in tension the dynamics of justice, care, and identity. A tension that exists today, exists every week, even through a screen. And so we just want to start by naming that. Yes. Um, Mother's Day is a conflicting day. Sorry, Mom. But I'm excited to celebrate my wonderful mom and also all the women who have raised me in so many different ways. And Sam is going to speak more on this later. But I also know today is a day of heartbreak for those who have lost their moms, for those who wish to be a mom that's not working out, for those who have lost a child, and for those who have sour relationships with their mothers. In my family, we, wa- we lost a mother very recently. My father-in-law's mother, Victoria, passed away a little more than a week ago. For those of us out there, in these and countless more situations, today, frankly, sucks. So I first want to acknowledge that. I want to leave space for that. I see your pain, and it's okay to throw Mother's Day in the trash and cancel it. I canceled at least one day a week since the pandemic started, And you have my full permission, not that you need it, to cancel today. I also want to acknowledge the pain and suffering of Wanda Cooper-Jones today. She is the mother of Ahmaud Arbery. Her son will not be walking through the door today with flowers or coming over for dinner to hug the woman who raised him. Today is hell for many other black and brown women who have lost their children to gun violence, police violence, and blatant racism in a country built on a system of white supremacy that consistently kills black and brown bodies. As I lace up my running shoes in the morning, I rarely fear for my life when I leave my house for a jog. My skin color gives me that privilege. The same is not true for our black and brown brothers and sisters. Like Ahmaud Arbery, being black or brown in America is not safe. And as Jesus followers, especially from a mostly white congregation, we need to call out this reality and racism for what it is, evil. This was a modern day lynching in our country, and we cannot be silent. As a church, we must take action, not only by simply not being racist, but by being anti-racist. The system we live in is built on white supremacy. And for it to be torn down, the beneficiaries of this system must say, enough is enough. Action and truth are important more than ever. And this work is not done because two men were finally arrested. Our individual and collective works work towards justice is not done 
Talking about it is only step one. There is still so much more to do. I want to leave space and a moment to honor Wanda and the pain and suffering that should have never happened. We are becoming aware of how we've centered ourselves, the church, our whiteness and privilege by keeping silent about the injustice in our world. So before we do anything else today, we want to come before God together to repent, to lament, and to invite his loving mercy. Will you bow your head wherever you are and join us in prayer? Lord, we come before you broken. We are a broken people. Today we confess our apathy and our complicity in the evil of racism. And we grieve the loss of your precious son, Ahmaud Arbery, and the losses of so many other black sons and daughters. And we know you weep with us. This is so far from who you created us to be. May we draw near to your love, to your refuge, to your wellspring of justice and even hope, God, as you teach us again and again how to love one another as you love us. May we as individuals and as a church be unceasing in our efforts to tear down systems that only protect some of us, not just today, not just this weekend, but every day. Thank you that you are a God who transforms. We ask you to transform us. And we invite your mothering spirit today, Lord, your comfort and tenderness, and also your strength, your guidance. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Sam. She's going to be back later. I'm going to move this. Am I good? This is on Jake. Okay. Um, we can't truly know suffering without also knowing joy. There is lightness and darkness in our world. So we, as we hold that intention. I want to say that all the people who like today is special, who feel like today is special and important, enjoy it. Because it's also a day of celebration and connection and honor. And I think Hope the people who love you and call you mama celebrate you today because you are definitely underappreciated and deserving of all the love and support. If you are at home with littles today, you are doing the work and you deserve 8 million hugs and sticky kisses and maybe an hour or maybe a whole day alone. I know I wish that I could hug all of the mothers in my life today. So as only a dog and a newly cat mom, I was hesitant to be given Mother's Day with Sam in the presence in the Preacher's Guild. But I feel really lucky and honored to be here with all of you virtually on Facebook. I've made new friends since this all started from Australia. And um, since this whole thing started, I'm so proud to be a part of ANC as we step into whatever the heck this is navigating virtual church and exploring what it means to be a church and followers of Jesus mid-global pandemic. So today we'll read from 1 Peter, and I will sort of pick up where Jason left off. Jason did a beautiful job of releasing us from our shame. I felt new freedom last week, so this week I want to explore what that freedom really means. 
This letter was written to a group of people who felt abandoned. They felt alone in their faith. We can relate to this right now as we live in a constant state of unknown and worry. We all feel very much alone. Whether our house is empty or full, it's hard to feel seen or known right now. So if you have a Bible or the Bible app or whatever it is you do, we're going to read 1 Peter 2, verses 2 through 10. Verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, for in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, I feel really lucky to have both of my grandmothers in my life. They are vastly different women. Opposites, really. (laughs) But both have instilled in me so much of the woman that I am today. This is a skip a generation relationship of grandmother to granddaughter that I cherish deeply. I spent many summers with both of my grandmothers, but one summer after my sophomore year of college, I lived with my grandmother and my grandfather in Memphis, Tennessee, Nana and Ba. Yes, we call my grandpa Ba. <laughs> Y'all, my grandparents' names spell banana, B-A-N-A-N-A. And we didn't realize this until Lily, one of my cousins, was eight years old. And she pointed out to all of us, I was 18 years old. <laughs> so that summer, my aunt, who also lived in Memphis, found me a job at the Parents' Day Out daycare that my cousin Ella was going to. I didn't know anyone in Memphis at the time, really, other than my family. So I spent the days with lots of wild, hippie, midtown four-year-olds, and my grandmother, Nana. Nana is a really fantastic cook, but she usually does not use recipes, so she cooks from a feeling, from an intuition in the kitchen. And recently, I called her and asked her for a cobbler recipe that we used to make, and she gave it to me. I loosely wrote it down on a sticky note, and I kind of couldn't read it, or like I missed a page, so I called her later, a couple weeks later, and asked her, for the recipe again. 
Y'all, she read me a totally different recipe. It wasn't even the same cobbler. <laughs> she had added eggs, taken them out. There was totally different amounts of flour, but I made it work. So when I lived with her that summer, she really taught me how to cook the way that she does with her intuition. She would sit at this small table in her kitchen with a glass of wine, and she would tell me what to do, step by step at first, and then she would eventually say, make a casserole with what's in the fridge, Mallory. And somehow, I would. She was tired of cooking. She'd been cooking her whole life, and she liked having fresh hands in her kitchen. But she didn't have any recipes to teach me by, so she had to quite literally sit there and coach me. I can now make most of the things that we ate that summer from memory. And I no longer really need recipes either, which drives my husband insane. But I have an intuition in the kitchen. And I think, most importantly, I am never afraid to try something new. My grandmother would always just cook with what she had on hand. And sometimes that required strange substitutions that actually made the recipes better. We were always surprised. And sometimes that meant I was sent to Little Italy Pizza to pick up a pizza for dinner instead. Both results were fully acceptable in her house. When I needed it, my Nana was there for guidance and substitutions. At first, she offered me lots of guidance, even getting up from her table and showing me. But for the most part, after the first few weeks, she rarely looked up. We would just be deep in the conversation while I made oatmeal cookies. My grandmother was active in this process while I was the recipient. Like in this part of the text, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Nana was building me up slowly. And by the end, we just got to hang out. It became natural and joyful and comfortable to just be together. It became a mutual life-giving relationship. And I cherish that time so much. And I look forward to going back to Memphis and cooking in her kitchen soon. My friend Esha pointed out to me that she loved the idea that we're being built. It's a process that we're involved in, but it's not on us to do or strive for. In the message translation, it reads, present yourself as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary vibrant with life in which you'll serve as holy priests. I had to present myself to my grandmother's foreign kitchen as a college student who literally only made spinach and eggs. She built up my foundation in her kitchen. I became familiar with the terms, the processes, the steps required to make a meal, and I fell in love with it. I loved it. Salt, acid, fat, heat, if you will. And if you won't, you have something to watch on Netflix now. But she did it by setting me free and allowing me to stumble to make it work. I learned from my own mistakes. This was trial and error, just like the people Peter is writing to are experiencing. There is no perfect way to be Christians. You will stumble over your own rocks and your own stones. But at some deep level, it becomes intuitive. I can now chop and steam and make Allison Roman recipes with my eyes closed. I offer myself to the kitchen, and I let it 
take me to my meal. For me, my time in the kitchen is just as much about the process as the end result. The process, you see, is the important part. And as a chosen people, the process of being built up is a combination of passing, failing, and practicing. It's not about reaching a certain point. It's about embracing where you are and who you are in that very moment. Allowing ourselves to belong to the moment and to own it. In verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. To me, to be honest, the word chosen feels really icky. I wrestled it all week, what this word chosen really, really meant. Does being a chosen people that others aren't chosen? That it's an inclusive club that you have to be invited to? So on Thursday mornings, I meet with the breakfast queens from ANC, and it came up. Okay, well, fine. I asked them because I really needed help. <laughs> and my friend, my new friend, Diana from Australia, put it this way to me. There is a giant and beautiful banquet table, and anyone and everyone is invited to sit down. Everyone is equal at this table, seen as fully human, fully whole. All you have to do is take a seat. So what if, instead of being chosen, we instead make the choice? Because the invitation is always open. Maybe that's what being a chosen people means. We choose to enter into the kingdom where everyone is invited, and we are seen as fully whole and fully loved and fully accepted. We are treated like kings and queens and the saints that we are because we, look, because we took a seat from the darkness into God's wonderful light. So there's another mom in my life that reminds me of this experience. She quite literally taught me how to set the banquet table. I mentioned my other Grammy, my other grandmother, Grammy, who is quite the opposite of Nana. While Nana is artistic and funky, my Grammy is polished and polite. She taught me the importance of being a Southern lady, and she still corrects my Instagram post if I take a picture of my table and the fork is in the wrong place. She instilled a sense of adventure in me. She loves to travel. And when I was old enough, she would take me to New York City and then to Italy twice. One of her favorite stories to remind us of is when we were 13, she took my cousin and I to New York City and she gave us a paper map as we left the hotel and simply the address of where we were to be eating dinner that night. She set us free to be the navigators. She and my grandfather had to follow us as we found our way on the subway and the streets. I remember my grandfather, grandfather several times trying to step in and be like, go left, and my grandmother would not allow it. She would say, Lester, stop it. So as we were taking us to dinner, I can't really remember 
if we went the right way or not, but we were navigating to dinner. And I'm sure it took more time than it would have taken my grandfather and my grandmother. My grandmother would have taken the subway and my grandfather would have called a cab, but we got there. She wanted us to find our own way. That was so important to her. She constantly sang us this country song, I Hope You Dance. I hope you guys all know it, because I'm going to not sing it, but say it. In case you aren't familiar with this classic country song, you should be. I'm going to read you the lyrics. And try not to, I might cry, but I'm going to try not to. I hope you never lose your sense of wonder. You get your fill to eat, but always keep that hunger. May you never take one single breath for granted. God forbid, love ever leave you empty-handed. I hope you still feel small when you stand beside the ocean. Whenever one door closes, I hope one more opens. Promise me that you'll give faith a fighting chance. And when you get the chance to sit it out or dance, I hope you dance. She believes in living life to the fullest. That has been the cornerstone of her life. She steps into the dance. She lives as if that was the way to show God's love for us. To live with kindness and fullness in relationship with who and what is around us. It says in the message translation, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him. To tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. From nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Now, I don't think this means evangelizing in the way many people think of. I think my Grammy illustrates this perfectly in her life, and she showed us on the wild adventures that she brought us on. As a chosen people, we are called to the priestly work. So if we know what we are chosen people participating in the priestly work, what is the priestly work? Is it choosing to dance? Is it choosing to give faith the fighting chance? I'm sorry, I had to. Today, I think yes. It entails stepping into our chosenness and following our divine, divine intuition based on our original foundation. So now that I know how to cook in the kitchen, I can step out and dance. No recipes required. But who are we? What makes us whole? Being chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's what makes us whole. So if we live out of that knowledge and the cornerstone of understanding who we are in Jesus, that we are made whole, then we go from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. We go from standing on the outside to being pulled in in a way that we needed to pull in Ahmad Arbery. We go from feeling vulnerable and uncomfortable in the kitchen to making shallot pasta from memory. We begin to understand our truth and what it means to live fully loved and wholly accepted. To choose to love ourselves and those around us. To take a seat at the table, the beautiful table, 
and not only love the one seated next to us, but love the human standing around us. To be chosen is to make a choice. In this passage, we understand that the worst and most rejected, the slaves who are on the receiving end of so much systemic oppression, are being told they're the absolute cornerstone of all of this. So let's circle back to Mother's Day. You know, anyone else married to a circle back guy? Anyway, it's a Twitter joke. Who were often still dismissed. Sorry, I lost my place. So let's circle back to Mother's Day and to the women, to the mothers, who were often still dismissed, are actually and always have been an integral cornerstone of our church. How do we do this? It is one thing to acknowledge ourselves as chosen, but a whole other thing to actually live that way. What do we do next? Do we simply acknowledge the source of life, the living stone? We have to fail. We have to try and royally mess up. We have to ask for help. And sometimes at the end of the night, we just have to throw on the towel and order pizza. And maybe even harder, we have to allow the same for those around us. Sometimes we have to hand over the map and ask, that, ask to be taken to dinner, even though we might know exactly how to get there. We sit back and we embark on the ride, the journey on the smelly subway. And if it's not always what we expected, that's okay. Being a chosen people is not easy. It means keeping our mouths shut even when we don't want to. It means raising our voices when there is a clear injustice. It means authentic apologies. It means loving when no one else will. It means leading from the front and the back. It means cooking in an unfamiliar environment. It means mothering and grandmothering. It means remembering our chosenness. So today, on this conflicting Mother's Day, during a global pandemic, amidst the news of a modern-day lynching, when we cannot gather in the ways that we would when we experience heartbreak, when most of us cannot hug our mothers and will FaceTime them today instead, when we feel the reality and tension that both death, of life, that both death and life surround us, what does it look like to live the way Peter, or whoever wrote this letter, is describing? What does it mean to acknowledge the living stone as the source of life? What does it mean to live as if we were fully accepted? As if we mean something. When we, either trapped, when we are either trapped in our homes or forced out as essential workers. How can we put ourselves in solidarity with vulnerable, peop vulnerable people around the world? How can we acknowledge the dignity and humanity of the underrepresented? How can we listen to and learn from people that are too often silenced? It will look different for everyone in their personal conversations. 
But this letter written to slave women gives us an example that it's the thing God calls us and wants us to do. He calls us and he wants us to do this work. The overlooked people of the world in 1 Peter and today are the cornerstone God chooses to align God's self with. That's where we as Christians want to position ourselves to be. A place where we acknowledge the pain and the suffering of our world while holding the tension that we can still find joy. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to, Sam's going to come up in just a minute. So, um, God, Mother, thank you for today and every day. And I pray that you continue to remind us who the cornerstone is and that you are the living stone that we rely on, that lives inside us and guides us. May we live every day as if we are fully loved and accepted because we are. Amen. So um, if you have something near you, this is the time where we can participate in the Eucharist. You can take the elements. And if you don't, when you sit down today at the table at some time with your family, just remember that Christ's body is broken for you. Um, so now Sam is going to come up and kind of give us some encouragement for Mother's Day, and I'm really excited for this. Um, it's it's going to be really good. So, Sam. Thank you, Mallory. Yeah. Do you want this? No, I don't care. Dear moms, and by that I mean those who have mothered, for I have been mothered by many. I had to be carried long after those first nine months, so I speak to the great chain of moms, passing along a baby in a basket. We have always done this from the mom of Moses who surrendered her child to save him, to the river that carried him, to the princess who saw him, to the sister who suggested that his birth mom nurse him until the princess could raise him in a castle. This mom stuff has never been simple. An ensemble story full of nuance, sacrifice, loss, and uncertainty, that's what makes today hard, an exhausting job description. None of this fits on a card, and yet, it's so nice to get a note that somebody wrote. So, dear moms, dear mom, some of us want to celebrate you. Some of us want to become one of you. Some of us feel failed by you. Some of us failed you. Some of us miss you. Some of us never knew you. We don't know how to honor you with room enough for all of you and all of us. Where do we start? This is why we have Hallmark. Dear moms, I suppose some words will fit and some won't, but today we say something because no one got grown by accident. So whether you look like a mom on TV or whether your motherhood played out non-traditionally, dear mom and dear everyone who helped carry my basket, and I should have just got a card in a little plastic packet, dear those who've loved something into being, dear artists, activists, those who've given birth to something new, those who've struggled and labored to make room for something fragile, for someone to grow. How did you know what direction to go? And how did you go that way slow? In a world that loves anything instant and everything hands-free, hidden behind filters, driven by results and reviews, shortcuts and loopholes, bought into a myth that we're in control, where did you learn to be patient? How do you do so much in secret? Who taught you to trust the sound of your voice? 
And without any promise of any particular product, how do you wake up and surrender to the process? How do you give so much away before we can even say thank you? And worse, after we totally can, but forget to. What is this love? Can you teach us it? I'm in awe of it. Dear moms, dear mom, dear teachers, coaches, anyone who's nurtured something small and wild, an idea, a team, a puppy, a child, thank you for all the gestures of love that I didn't see as love at the time, for hounding me about the details of my day when I'd much rather hide them, for washing soccer jerseys that smelled like something had died in them, for spending time on recipes that I only picked at. I don't know why I didn't like Brussels sprouts then. Did you try roasting them? Anyway, thanks for loving me when I was a brat. Mom, you reflect the heart of our father. Though at least for today, can we call her our mother? Sorry, moms, we've left you to metaphorical gymnastics to imagine a divine love that was expansive and elastic enough to look like you, to be embodied through a gentle river that carried Moses in a basket, the same spirit in you when you first held me ecstatic, that time you forgave me as we sat in heavy traffic, that time you held me for as long as my sadness lasted. I couldn't find a card that says this like this, Mom, you teach me more about who God is. Thank you for the things that you did that were separate from me, for showing me that you can serve and love and still be your own whole. Dear moms, dear mom, dear anyone who's let something go, thank you for releasing me so that I too could grow whole, for shedding ideas of who you thought I would be in order to receive who I am, for all the times you let me decide. Thank you for letting me go to Brittany Fisher's after prom. Nothing bad happened and I had a really good time. For those who pushed me to lead long before I was ready, for space to fail, thank you. For dropping me off at kindergarten, college, and the church where I got married. I still need you even if I no longer need to be carried. But thanks for all those scary days when you put the basket in the river, gave it a nudge, and prayed. Which reminds me, dear moms with regrets and moms far away, dear precious moms of children who've strayed, dear moms who won't get a card this year, Dear anyone building new worlds for our children, dear moms in fear of the world that we're giving them, dear moms risking everything in order to save them, dear moms on the edge, may the river carry you today. I think that's what I'd like my card to say. May you be mothered once again. May you feel the spirit moving in, holding you close for as long as this lasts, for as long as you are. Dear mom and all who enter into this absurd contract, all who dare to love, nurture, and release, all who tend to the emerging of things, I wrote you this letter, not much better than something store-bought. Nothing is enough. Nothing ever will be. You will always be so far ahead of me. I'll leave it to the river and hope it catches up with you. If not today, some unremarkable day, may you stumble into grace and may this fill you up, that you are loved that it mattered, that it is enough.